Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. has got a, a long and rich uh, history with the Gideons in our area. Uh, every year we bring in a Gideon to explain to us kind of what the Gideons do and remind us and encourage us, and we always give you an opportunity on the way out to give uh, if you want to towards the Gideons. And so Bob Mulder, Bob, Bob if you come on down, uh, Bob is here this morning as a Gideon representative. There are several Gideons in our church as well uh, to kind of share with us what the Gideons are doing and encourage us and, and challenge us. And then give us the opportunity at the end of the service, there will be some folks at the doors with their Bibles open. If you want to give to the Gideons, every penny you give will go towards buying Bibles. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. One million Bibles every four days. One million Bibles every four days. That's the current rate of distribution around the world that the Gideons are distributing God's Word. And, you know, you've had some pretty neat stuff happen here in Troop County with new hotels, you got the Marriott on the, on the square, you got the uh, Great Wolf Lodge, and you got home suites, and we're there to put a Bible in every room that, that they'll allow us to. Now, home suites even allowed us to have a Bible dedication ceremony. We stacked 100 Bibles in a, in a shape of a cross. They brought in all the housekeepers, and they got a, an earful, so to speak, about the importance of keeping that Bible in each room Highly visible. Anyway, um, new hotels are easy. It's, we have to revisit the hotels. Many times, uh, these books take a beating in the rooms. People will put a drink on there, be a circle. People will go through the middle and they'll take uh, pages out for messages. Um, sometimes they'll take them home, but that's okay. We don't, we're going to replace it. We prefer they take it home. No problem. Uh, there was a Canadian Gideon in Nova Scotia, Halifax to be exact, who was going through on a revisit, a hotel, and he came upon a a note in the back of the Bible. This is not the exact Bible, but this is a copy of the the, uh, note. Let me read it to you. To whom it may concern, I rented this room with the thought of killing myself. This Bible saved my life. Proverbs, page 696. Pregnant by another man, I have a loving husband. Yet I was unfaithful, so foolish, so young. We all have problems. I just called my husband. He knows and forgave. Sign me grateful. This book is blessed. So, you know, you know this book can change lives, but here I think it saved a life. In fact, she was pregnant. It may have saved two lives. Um, what about the average life of a, of a Gideon Bible in a motel room is about five years. Imagine how many people were touched by this book and didn't leave a note. So anyway, it's just, you know, we're not just in hotels. We're in jails. We're in healthcare industry. The ladies who, who are wives of Gideons can join the auxiliary, and they distribute a lot of Bibles in the dentist's office, doctor's office, hospitals, etc. We distribute to the EMTs, to the 
policemen, uh, firemen, you name it. We're also in the schools, fifth grade, graduation, college, 3,000 given out at UGA on the first Monday of every October. So those are the kind of things that, that the guys do. Um, now, we only have one camp in LaGrange. There are two in Columbus. There are many in Atlanta. There's 12,000 around the world. The local people know the language, know the roads, have the relationships. They just need the books to distribute it. So um, you got 200 countries, 200, or I should say it's printed in 100 languages. So that's where you get the million every four days. Um, and again, when you think about life, I don't care if you're born and raised and live in Guatemala, Romania, India, or here in Troop County, you're going to be faced with three of life's big questions. At some time, where did the earth come from? Why am I here? And what's going to happen to me when I die? Well, you and I know God's given us the answer book. Our challenge together is to get the answer book in the hands of those or near those that have those questions and don't have the right answers or don't have any answers at all. So, in essence, in short, the Gideon Ministry is a three-way partnership. It takes a partnering pastor like you have here. It takes a generous congregation, and it takes the Gideons. Without the first two, there is no ministry. So, uh, I just want to let you know that the Gideons pay dues, and the dues cover all the administration of trying to get those million Bibles every four days distributed around the globe. But that takes care of all of the administration in Nashville. So therefore, you can count that every penny of every dollar that's given by a church member or church goes to the printing and shipping of God's word. And the Gideons will take care of the distribution. So once again, I thank you, Pastor, for the time to be in the pulpit. I thank the congregation for your attention, and we appreciate it. And we have asked the Lord to bless our work together. Thank you. Again, at the end of the service, there'll be some folks at the doors with an open Bible, and you just put whatever you want to in to, to donate. Every penny goes, as he explained, towards Bibles. Okay? All right, let me pray for us. We're going to jump right in this morning. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity you've given us to worship, to praise your name, to, to sing hallelujah to who you are. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be challenged uh, with the distribution of Bibles. Father, your word in a uh, hundred different languages all across the world. Father, I pray we'd be faithful to be involved in that as well. And Lord, now we turn to the truth of your word. And Lord, as we open it up, I pray you would speak very clearly to us through it. I pray you would challenge us, Father, uh, encourage us. Lord, as we're walking through the storms and the difficulty of life, Father, difficulties of life, I pray that this word would be a comfort to us, would bring us peace and hope and joy. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, Father, in the study of your word, that we would be transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Continue our study this morning through the gospel of Mark. Uh, we've seen lots of cool things that the Lord has done. We've kind of followed his life. We've seen where he's walked. We've seen the miraculous things that he's done. He's changed people's lives already. And the excitement and the crowds continue to grow. We've talked about that over the last several weeks. That will be a theme that will continue 
opposition against Jesus has continued to grow as well. The Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders don't like what he's doing. But we have noticed, and we're going to kind of talk through that a little bit today, and especially over the next few weeks, that the people that have followed Jesus, even though he's kind of begun to explain to them the difference between a true follower and a casual follower, the people that follow Jesus still don't quite know who he is. They're still not 100% sure, right? We've, we've got the benefit of, of having the entire scripture before us, the ability to read it and understand exactly who Jesus is. People of the first century did not. And so they ask on a pretty regular basis, who is Jesus? In fact, in our story this morning, I, I want to kind of fast forward to the end and then walk back through it together. In Mark chapter 4, verse 41, Jesus is going to calm the storm, and we're going to spend a lot of time this morning thinking about this. But I want you to notice something in Mark chapter 4, verse 41. It's a question the disciples asked. It's a question we still ask today. The Bible says they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is Jesus? It's a question that's been asked since the first century. It's a question we still ask today, and it's a question I want to answer this morning by examining the story of the calming of the storm. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. So let's read through this passage together. Let's read through this, and then walk back through it and see what truth we can pull from it. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking onto the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want to stop there, and I want to give you some truth, and I want to challenge you with this very first point. In fact, it's been rattling around in my brain really all week as I've studied this and prayed through it and thought through it. Truth number one is this. Jesus led the disciples into the storm. Jesus led the disciples into the storm. Now, the large crowds were following Jesus. He wanted to go across the lake. He wanted to get away from the crowds. He knew there was great work to do on the other side, which we're going to see over the next few weeks. So Jesus said to his disciples, listen, let's get in the boat. Let's sail out across the lake. Let's get to the other side away from the crowds. Now, the boat uh, in that time period, first century, Sea of Galilee, 20 to 25 feet long, 7 or 8 feet wide, 4 or 5 feet deep, a small little boat probably with a single mast and a sail probably a couple of oars for them to row on the side if they wanted to. This is a a pretty small fishing boat. So these guys get into the boat, all the disciples, probably 15 people or so, maybe a, a few less, a few more, and Jesus. And Jesus is so exhausted, he's so tired, he's been in so much work walking and teaching and doing miraculous things. He just goes into the back and he falls asleep. 
Now, we get that about the experience. We get that about what happens. We, we know the story. The fishermen get onto the sea. All of a sudden, a large storm comes up. The way the Sea of Galilee is geographically, it's kind of down in a, in a bowl, mountains surround it. So it's not uncommon for the winds and the seas to kind of all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you start off and everything's blue and calm. You get out into the middle of the lake and all of a sudden, there's a major storm. We, we know that story. We've heard it before. But here's what I want you to get. I don't want you to miss this. Because this is opposite sometimes of the way that we think and the way that we feel. I want you to notice why the disciples were in the storm. Look at verse 35 again. Pull that up for me. On that day when Jesus had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And the other boats were with him. Now, this is a key idea. I don't want you to miss this, okay? These disciples didn't get out onto this lake, the Sea of Galilee, by accident. You understand that? This storm wasn't some random event. Jesus knew exactly where they were going. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. The disciples, now listen, the disciples encountered this storm because Jesus called them into it. Very different than the way we think oftentimes. Like we want to figure out how we can get around the storm. We want Jesus to lead us outside of the difficulties. If a storm's coming, we want to do everything we can not to go through it. Instead, what we see is Jesus knew the storm was coming, and he called the disciples into the boat so they could go through it. Very interesting, isn't it? Because we all face storms, don't we? Now, this is a physical storm that happened on this sea. But we face all sorts of storms in our life, right? And as we think about the storms and we, and we think about what Christ is doing here and we think about kind of the key to this passage of Scripture, we begin to think differently about it and we begin to ask questions like, is it possible that we're walking through this storm of life for a reason? The answer is yes. Take it a step farther. Is it, is it possible that maybe there's something going on in the storm that God wants us to see and understand? Absolutely. Is it possible that God has led us intentionally into this storm so we can grow in the process? That's exactly what Scripture teaches. It begins to give us kind of a different perspective on the storms of life, doesn't it? It gives us a different understanding of why we're going through difficulty. Lord, help me just avoid this problem at work. Lord, help me avoid this sickness. Help me to avoid this situation at home. Lord, help me just kind of get out of this. Whatever storm's ahead, Father, I pray you just get it out of the way so there's smooth sailing for me. Sometimes that's what the Lord does. But then there are other times, Mark chapter 4, when Jesus says, Listen, I know there's a storm coming, and I need you to walk through it. James chapter 1. Verse 2, I preached through the book of James several years ago, and all those podcasts are available. But James chapter 2, James chapter 1, the first few verses are, are very difficult for us because I want you to listen to what Scripture teaches. James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It doesn't say complain, my brothers, or talk about how bad things are, my brothers, or weep or get mad at God or shake your fist at Christ. It says instead... Count it joy when you face trials of various kinds. Four, verse three, you know that the testing of your faith 
produces, right? It's creating something, steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All right, when we begin to see that God steers us intentionally sometimes into the storm to change us and to strengthen us, it really gives us a new perspective on the trials that we face. One writer explained it like this. He said, trials are a tool in the loving hands of the Lord. Man, they test the strength of our faith. They humble us. They wean us from our dependence on earthly things. They call us to eternal and heavenly hope. They reveal what we really love. They teach us to value God's blessings. They develop enduring strength for greater usefulness. They help us better encourage others who are in times of trial. One writer said it like this, and I love this. I think I'm going to put this phrase up somewhere in my study or at my home or somewhere. He says, the storm is not where you face the enemy. The storm is where you meet your God. Now, the disciples didn't know this. But as they're crossing the lake, Jesus understands, listen, we're going to go through this storm and we're going to go through this struggle because there are greater things ahead, right? Jesus is teaching all sorts of things to his disciples at all times and he's strengthening them and encouraging them and preparing them through the difficulties to be ready for what lies ahead. Jesus is going to cross the lake. He's going to raise a girl from the dead. Incredible. We'll see that next week. He's going to cast out demons. He's going to feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But before he could get to that point, before the disciples could see that and experience it and be part of it, they first had to go through this storm. Now let's continue. Look at verse 38. They're in the boat. The storm comes up. It's a bad storm. The wind is blowing. The waves are crashing against the boat. But he, this is Jesus, was in the stern. <laughs> Asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Truth number two. Jesus is our hope in the storms of life because he is fully God. Let me just say that again because I think sometimes we miss it. Jesus is our hope in the storms because he is fully God. Right, the disciples are afraid. They're unsure what to do. The waves are crashing. The wind is blowing. They're not quite sure what to do. So they run to find Jesus. Right? That's a great example for us in the storms of life. The problem for us is that sometimes we get so focused on the storm, we forget that Jesus, the one who walks with us, has the answers, can walk with us through the storm of life, and is, oh, by the way, the creator of the universe, the author of our salvation, and has control even over the wind and the waves. We forget that, don't we? Amy and I were married in December of 97. Right, honey? December 20th, I know, I'm just, that's just being silly. I know exactly when we were married. I never missed an anniversary. December 20th, 1997. And in the wintertime, my wife loves the summer. She loves the beach. We go to the beach every year. We'll continue to go to the beach every year. We love that. I knew I had one shot to go somewhere cold on our honeymoon. So I suggested we go to Maine in December. And we did. She agreed to it. 
And I knew full well, if we went once, that would be the last time we ever did it. And it was. I've been in a cold location one time in my life. That was it. But it was a fantastic week. Loved it. Snowed like crazy. Blizzard. I mean, I don't think it got above probably 12 or 13 degrees all week. I loved it. It was really cool. Right? It was fun for a week. I probably wouldn't want to live there. But in Maine, it's different because there's a ton of snow and every truck has a little uh, uh, plow on the front of it. All the pickup trucks plow their own little way. And so the roads are fine. No big deal. Except... We were there over Christmas. We were both teachers. We had two weeks off. That was the only time we could get married and go on a honeymoon. So we got married. A couple of days later, the next day, flew to Maine, stayed in Maine, Bar Harbor, Maine, right, Acadia National Park. They say Bahaba, which is beautiful. The fresh lobster, oh, man, it was so good. Had a great experience. But we were kind of missing our family, and it was Christmas, and we thought, you know what? Let's go skiing in Maine. The fact that neither one of us had ever really skied was irrelevant. We didn't really take that into consideration. But on Christmas Day, being the, the genius I was and just, you know, the great leader of my home, we set out on Christmas Day to drive three hours in Maine in the middle of a blizzard. Now, what I didn't know at that time was that on Christmas Day, the snow plows were not running. Nobody cares. They're at home. <laughs> didn't really think about that. But you get out on the road in Maine on Christmas Day in a blizzard, and I'm not kidding. From, from as far left as you can see to as far right as you see, there's nothing but white. There's, there's no distinction it's all just this layer of white. And I kid you not, and Amy can tell you the story, we drove by driving between the signs. I couldn't even see the road. We'd say, well, there, there's a light pole up there and there's a mailbox. Let's drive between those two. We did that for three hours. <laughs> now, looking back on it, that was foolish. If we'd, have, if we'd have gotten stuck or run off the road, we probably could have died. I mean, in the middle of nowhere, nobody's out in Maine looking around. We would have frozen to death. I mean, it was a bad deal, right? But it's very easy for us. Here's the point, right? In, in life, we, we need guideposts sometimes, don't we? And it's very easy for us. If I'd have been driving down that road and gotten so enamored by the beauty, and it is beautiful, it's incredible, by the beauty of the snow and everything, the snow falling and the trees and the, just the crystal clear blue, I mean, white winter wonderland. If I'd have gotten enamored by that and missed the guidepost, I would have run off the road and bad things would have happened. It's kind of like that in our lives with Jesus, right? Sometimes we're walking through the storms of life. We're so busy looking at the storms, we forget that Jesus is with us. Sometimes we get so enamored by the storm, we get so fearful of what can happen, we forget to keep our eyes on Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who... For by who the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, here's the problem, right? Here's the problem. These disciples are in the boat. They're in the middle of the storm. The wind is blowing. The, the waves are crashing. Jesus is with them, but they make this false assumption. It's the same sort of assumption we make. It's right in verse 38. Pull it up. Let's look at it together. Jesus was in the stern. He's in the back asleep on the cushion, and they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Here, here's the false assumption they made. The false assumption was that because Jesus was in the back of the boat sleeping, he didn't care what really happened to them. We do that, don't we? We say things like this, and we may never say it out loud, but maybe in our hearts we feel it. Jesus, don't you care 
that I'm going through this sickness? Don't you care that I'm struggling with my marriage, Jesus? Don't you care that things at work are hard? Don't you care that things at school are difficult? You fill in the blank. Jesus, don't you care? It seems as if you don't care because you're not doing anything. You're not saying anything. All the while, Jesus is beside us. Quiet, peaceful, still, even during the terrible storms. Why does Jesus do that? Because Jesus is in full control. (laughs) And when you're in full control, man, you can just be cool. It's easy to relax when you know what's going to happen. Psalm chapter 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Here's what the disciples missed. Here's what we miss. Here's a main truth we find in this scripture. I'm going to say it. You know it, but let's think about how we apply it. What we know that the disciples didn't get is that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is the creator of all things. Everything is completely under his control. Now remember, these are Jewish men. They're living in the first century. They didn't have the access to the New Testament like we do, right? We're we're so used to the stories of Jesus. We've heard this story so many times. We can pick up Mark or other gospels and read all about Jesus. We can read the first part of John and read the prologue. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. We know the stories. These men did not. These men were still trying to figure out who Jesus was. And all they really knew about God himself was what the Old Testament taught. Now, the Old Testament is filled with examples of the power of the Lord. But one of the things we notice in the Old Testament, when the Lord does things, and when the Lord does miraculous things, and there are events that take place uh, that seem incredible to the people, oftentimes the Lord has power over nature. So one of the things the Lord does in the Old Testament is he controls the wind and the waves and the sea. For example, Psalm 107, 29, he, speaking of the Lord, made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Psalm 89, 9, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves waves rise, you still them. Psalm 33, 7, he gathers the waters of the deep as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Exodus chapter 14, the story of the Red Sea, right? The parting of the sea. These men would have known that God has control over the elements. Now, they'd seen Jesus do cool things. They'd seen Jesus heal people and speak with power and authority, and some pretty impressive things had happened. But this is the first miracle when Jesus exercises power over nature. So when Jesus stands up and he tells the wind and the seas to be still and they obey, he's clearly demonstrating to his disciples his power and his deity. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Now that's easy for us to say, but sometimes it's very difficult for us to live. Let that just sink in just a little bit. Like you can say it. You can say you believe it. You can talk about it in Sunday school. You can say it even to your people in your prayer group. But are we really walking through the storms of life, understanding and believing that Jesus is fully God and in his fully control of all situations? That's a question we have to answer. Because when we come to the place where we realize that Jesus walks with us, Jesus is fully in control of our lives, 
Jesus is fully in control of all things around us, and yet he's leading us through this storm, we begin to open our eyes a little bit to the truth that he's working in our hearts. He's doing great things. I want you to notice what he says to the disciples. Look at verse 40. Pull verse 40 up for me. This is fascinating to me. He says, why are you so afraid? Now, I want you to notice where their fear comes from, not the wind and the waves. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Here's the third truth I want you to get this morning. Jesus replaced, he kind of flips this, an unhealthy fear of the world with a healthy fear of the Lord. I'm going to say that again because that's something we all struggle with. Jesus is going to kind of flip this. He's going to replace an unhealthy fear of the world with a healthy fear of the Lord. Now notice the problem these disciples have in verse 40. Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Right? The lack of faith drove them. We know, we know fear can be paralyzing. We know fear can, can cause us to, to not focus on the things we need to focus on. We, we struggle with the fear of life. We struggle with the difficulties of life, death, sickness, disease. We, we've all walked through it. Some of you are, are walking through it right now. But I want you to notice what Jesus does here. This is important. Jesus takes his disciples and he shows them that during the storm, they were afraid of what the elements could do to them. After the storm, they were afraid of exactly who Jesus was. See the difference? Look at verse 41 again. After Jesus calms the wind and the waves, the Bible says they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They feared the storm. They should have been fearing the Lord. You see that? How many of us are walking through a storm fearing the storm instead of fearing the Lord? Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is Inside. The problem is they lacked faith. They didn't believe God was who he says he was. They didn't believe he could do what he said he could actually do. They missed the truth of teaching. They were afraid of the wind. They should have instead been afraid of the power of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. One writer said it like this. When you find yourself in the presence of someone you so revere, someone you are in awe of, you tremble. It's a positive fear. You are afraid you will disappoint, dishonor the person. The positive fear is all about love. It's a joyful fear. This is what the fear of the Lord is. I'll never forget when I was in middle school, probably uh, maybe a ninth grader in high school. My dad was a, he's always been bivocational. He's a minister of music and also a sports editor. And we would always cover all the local sporting events and, you know, LaGrange High, Troop High. There was no Callaway at that point. Uh, but we covered LaGrange College, and we would always go to LaGrange College basketball games. And once every year, LaGrange College would play in the Omni. Any of y'all remember the Omni, the old Omni, a couple people? They tore it down, built Phillips Arena in the same place. Now they've renamed it State Farm, I think. But the, the LaGrange College basketball team would go up there one game every year, and they'd play in the Omni, and they'd play on the main floor, and they'd play mid-afternoon. And it was cool because we got to watch the, the, the college game, and then later that night, we'd stay for the Hawks. And watch the Hawks play. That particular night, they were playing the Lakers. Now, mid-80 Lakers, we're talking about Magic, Kareem, James Worthy, Byron Scott, Kurt Rambus, Michael Cooper, right? They're playing the Hawks, Dominique and Spud and Tree Rollins and those guys. And 
You see how it just flows like it was yesterday for me? I just remember that stuff. I loved it. I can name the whole lineup, right? So we're sitting on the floor of the, of the LaGrange College basketball game. It's mid-afternoon. I mean, it's probably 3 in the afternoon. I always played early. And that game's that night. We're watching the game, you know, playing. And there's not that many people there. So Dad and I were sitting just right on the floor. And all of a sudden, to, to my left, I look, and here come the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, they're, they just arrived at the arena. Apparently, the bus had just pulled up, and they're, they're walking by us. Now, you want to talk about everybody in the building, including the kids on the floor playing, stopping what they're doing, and in awe, just watching. And, you know, those NBA guys on TV, they, they look normal because they're all 6'8", 6'9". But beside me, they're like giants. And plus, I'm just this young kid anyway. So all these guys walk by. And the, the best I could do was Magic Johnson walks by me. I went, hey, hey, hey Magic. That's all I said. <laughs> He's like, hey, he spoke to me. He was cool. Now I'd probably be shaking their hands. You know, I'd be asking how they're doing. It'd be a different story, right? I was in awe. The whole place just shut down for a second. I'll never forget that moment. I was in awe. And the idea of, of trembling, I probably wasn't, probably wasn't really trembling, but I was in awe of these guys. These are people I looked up to, had posters of them in my room. They were a big deal for me, right? I saw them and wanted to be around them, and just this cool moment for me. But here's the analogy, right? Here's where we fast forward this. I lost all track of the game that I was actually there to see at that moment. My dad, who was doing his job, lost all track of the game he was there to cover. The guys on the floor lost all track of what, I promise you, they stopped dribbling the ball to watch the Los Angeles Lakers walk by. If we're not careful, we find our all in all sorts of things and we miss the thing we're there for. That's what Jesus says to us. That's what he shows us. Sometimes we get so caught up in the things of life and the, the awe around us and all this other cool stuff or maybe the storms and the struggles that we miss the truth of who Jesus is. We miss awe in Christ. We, we miss that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords because it's so easy to be distracted by the things of this world. I, I want to finish with this. We're running a long time. I want to finish with this. It would have been so much easier. Like, this is me thinking. It would have been so much easier for Jesus to have said to these guys, hey, hey guys, listen, a storm's coming. I know it's coming. It's going to be here in just a few minutes. Let's wait an hour or two or three before we get in the boat. Or maybe let's just walk this one. Let's leave the boat here and walk around to the other side. Let's stay out of the storm. But if Jesus had done that, his followers would have missed his majesty. You understand that? They would have missed his power. They would have missed his glory. When we walk through the storms of life, trusting the Lord, we always are blessed. That's the message of this passage. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for the truth of Scripture. It's always compelling and challenging. We can always apply it to our lives. So many of us, Lord, are walking through difficulties and storms right now, and, and we wish the Lord would just remove the storm. Remind us sometimes we go through the storm for a purpose, Father to be strengthened and encouraged, always mindful that Christ is with us, walking along beside us, Father. And as he does that, we see his glory and his power and his honor. Open our eyes, Father, to the truth of who you are, even in the midst of the storms. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. You respond this morning as we sing together. How great.
Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.